This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. If you're like me and refuse to let go of your skinny jeans, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and sea holly bioextract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While Multi-Active Cream can't bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Clarins Multi-Active Cream is available online now. Go to Clarins.com slash true crime and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash true crime with promo code true crime. Clarins.com slash true crime with promo code true crime. A warning. This episode contains graphic content that may be difficult for some listeners. Please listen with care. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window and influenza. I have kids of my own, so I'm kind of an authority on the subject of nursery rhymes. And here's my real honest take. They're creepy especially that one you just heard. Because it's not some hand-clapping, jump-roping tune. It's about death. Children were taught that rhyme in 1918, the year the Spanish influenza ripped through the world, killing millions and reminding humanity that sickness is as ruthless and mysterious a predator as the monsters and demons I tell you about each week. Yeah. Get the end of that rhyme now? In-flu-enza? It was a song to encourage kids to close their windows, lest the disease float on in and take up its fatal residency in their lungs. Just over a hundred years later, this song was also brought to me in Huntsville, Alabama, at the height of another pandemic, COVID-19. See, while all you were busy developing drinking problems or becoming bakers, I spent my stop-the-spread time on another obsession, physically investigating some of my grandma's most troubling tales. Like I've said, Her words sit heavy in the back of my mind, festering nightmares that come for me when I close my eyes at night. And in COVID's early days, when I had far too much time on my hands, I wanted to get to the bottom of whatever part of my psyche refused to let these stories go. First step, seek out my grandma's stories instead of letting them find me. Huntsville was at the top of my list for a few reasons. One, that's where grandma spent the 1918 pandemic as a little girl. Now here I was, living through a similar moment in history. Call me a sucker for symmetry. Back in 1918, Huntsville got hit hard, losing hundreds of residents. Men, women, children. Lots of children. Which brings me to reason number two. 
Grandma once told me those poor young souls were buried in a graveyard in town, and that plot of death was uncomfortably close to where a lot of life usually happened. A playground. And this playground. Actually, do I really need to explain? This episode is called Dead Children's Playground. You do the math. You're listening to Run, Fool. I'm Rodney Barnes, and this is Episode 8, Dead Children's Playground. Now, Huntsville is about the most populated city in Alabama. But when I touched down after driving 14 hours straight from New York, it seemed deserted. Most cities I'd passed through were the same. Lots of folks keeping inside if they could, away from any neighbors who might infect them with just a breath. First thing I did on arrival was check out that playground. Now this place, according to Grandma, was downright sinister. Haunted by innocent young souls that passed their eternal time by rising up from their graves for a late-night romp on the jungle gym. But when I got to the location in question, what I found was a playground. You know, a slide, some swings. Sure, it was eerie. It was on the same property as a damn cemetery, Maple Hill. But the area itself was nestled within a limestone quarry, like those stones were shielding the grounds from the death that lay beyond it. I sat on a bench as the sun set, surveying the place, all the while not sure what I was looking for. Was I hoping to confirm my nightmares were justified or prove they weren't real? After about an hour, I decided I was too tired and hungry to come to any kind of personal revelation that night. I try again tomorrow. As I was leaving, I passed the only other living person I'd seen in this place since I'd arrived. A woman in scrubs and a white coat. She knelt by a gravestone. I didn't know it at the time, but her name was Helen, and she had just finished a three-day shift in the local hospital. I'm not exaggerating when I say that shift was a nightmare. COVID patients were streaming through the ER doors in droves, more people than beds, more dying patients in a month-long period than Helen had seen in her entire career. And she was in pediatrics, so those patients were kids. All that's to say, when she was sent home to get some rest, she instead headed to the place that usually gave her clarity and peace, her sister's grave. See, her sister Laura was just six when she died from cancer. Helen was just a year older. And, well, if I was a therapist... I'd say every patient Helen tended to, that kiddo was a stand-in for Laura, which may be why deaths on Helen's watch were usually rare, except now. Hell, she'd lost patient after patient to COVID over the last month, the longest month of her life. It wasn't just tragic. To Helen, it was utterly destabilizing. It's why she was there. She was hoping this little moment of communion with her dearly departed sister would lead her to some sort of revelation, Something that might help her make sense of this new world. A world with so much death. So she closed her eyes, feeling the headstones engraving under her fingertips as she... Helen dropped to the ground as a crow flew low over her head to take perch on Laura's headstone. Its penetrating black eyes stared at Helen with what seemed like unrelenting judgment. Seconds later, it took off into the night. Destination unknown. Helen took a breath and told herself all the right things. It was just a bird. No reason to be jumpy. 
Although a look around told us she had stayed a little too late, night had firmly settled in, and Laura's plot was in an area that the cemetery's sporadic lighting didn't quite reach. The shadows around her were deep and getting deeper. But before Helen could take her leave, a new sound drifted through the air, children's laughter. It was close, through the trees, where the playground was. It occurred to Helen that she was more tired than she thought. That place had been deserted since the onset of the pandemic. Lots of touch points, and kids don't always keep six-foot distance. You know the deal. She was probably hearing things. The laughter came again, along with faint singing, a schoolyard chant. Now, you might think that's reason enough to get out of there. And remember my stance. Nursery rhymes are creepy as hell. But for Helen, this was a hopeful moment. Kids playing together was a welcome change from the wheezing and tears she was used to these days. That's why she moved towards the sound, following a winding path that took her past the edge of the cemetery and into a dark wooded area. Up ahead, lights illuminated the small clearing that I'd visited earlier that evening. The limestone quarry and the playground it encircled. Except, unlike earlier, this spot was now teeming with kids. There were about a dozen of them, different ages, some on the swings, some laughing as they chased their comrades around. A few jumped rope, singing. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. Helen couldn't hear what they were singing about, and she didn't care. It just sounded nice. She took a seat on a bench at the end of the path, right where I'd plopped down. There were no parents around, which told her the kids must be locals. They were all in their pajamas, so maybe they snuck out to get some social interaction. Helen took in the scene for a while before noticing one kid in particular, a little girl, no older than ten. She stood at the edge of the revelry half-concealed by shadows, She wasn't partaking. Instead, she was staring directly ahead at Helen. She sort of reminded Helen of Laura. They had that same quiet, unassuming vibe that she remembered. Except the longer this kid stared, the more uneasy Helen became. The child wasn't really doing anything, but at the same time, Helen's body was starting to realize something her mind hadn't caught on to yet. This girl was wrong. It was a certainty that made her mouth dry and goosebumps explode all over her skin. That crow again. Helen tried to duck, but she was a little too slow. A sharp set of talons brushed against the top of her head as the bird swooped close, then flew off. Helen put a hand on her chest, trying to calm down. But even as her pulse settled, she knew something had changed. It wasn't until she turned back to the playground that she saw the most unnerving thing she'd encountered that day. All the children were gone. Helen blinked at the spot where the children once were. She hadn't heard them leave. There hadn't been enough time for them to leave. Unless she was exhausted. Maybe she drifted off or spaced out. I mean, hell, she was in the middle of a graveyard after a 72-hour shift. She wasn't exactly thinking clearly. The abandoned swings gently rotated back and forth, an echo of the action they'd just seen. The jump rope lay on the ground, forgotten. The lights were still on, but without the children there, the place was just an extension of the graveyard, desolate and cold. Helen shivered and stood. It was time to go, 
as she headed off into the inky black ether of the grounds. She hoped her communion with Laura had done enough to settle her mind and allow her to get some sleep that night. She was shit out of luck. The moment her head hit her pillow, images of her patient's last breaths of air, her sister's dying face, and even that lurking girl from the playground swirled around in her head. She tossed and turned, assaulted by these thoughts, until a familiar scream made her shoot up in bed. No, no way. But it was true. That crow sat on her bureau, beside her window. She could have sworn she shut the thing, but it was wide open, the screen nowhere to be seen. Her curtains blew around the bird, like a silent horn announcing its arrival. Once again, it stared at her intently, too intently for Helen to handle. And within seconds, she was out of the bed, using a pillow to usher this freaky bird out of the window. Its wings flapped loudly as it took off, and Helen slammed the pane shut behind it. Then she heard something that made her heart stop. A very soft, very human sigh. There was someone in her bedroom. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Helen turned around slowly and saw a little face peering over the side of her bed. It was the girl from the playground. Her chin was propped up on her tiny hands head tilted to the side. She nodded towards the window and said, I know that bird. Its name is Enza. Helen's body went rigid. Well, except for her heart, which had somehow moved into her throat, and her stomach that twisted so hard she was sure she was going to puke. There was no explicable reason this child should be in her room, and she was too spooked to come up with an explanation that made sense. Her fear meter ticked up a notch when the kid ducked behind the bed and out of sight. She could hear a flurry of movement, a scuttle, if you will, as the girl quickly crawled along the floor, but Helen couldn't see where she was. Let me tell you, not being able to see a weird little child who inexplicably appears in your bedroom is way, way worse than being able to see it. Helen backed away from the bed until her back was touching the bureau by her window, a strategic position where this kid couldn't sneak up on her, where she could see what was happening. After a moment, the crawling stopped and the room went quiet. The only sounds were the faint hum of Helen's fridge in the other room. Then a rush of water through her pipes as someone flushed a toilet in the apartment above her. And then, an icy cold hand touched her shoulder. 
Helen screamed and whipped around, expecting to see that little girl perched atop the bureau she was backed up against. But she wasn't there. Neither was the bureau. Because somehow, Helen was now standing in the middle of that playground. There was a certain amount of shock that prevented Helen from doing much at this moment. And she was caught up in all the feelings you'd expect. Confusion, denial, certainty that she was still sleeping. Except a breeze kicked up then blowing the hair on the back of her neck. It tickled, which told her, no, sorry, Helen, this was not a dream. Then a very cold, very clammy hand grabbed hers. That girl. She smiled up at Helen, and just beyond that stretched, eerie grin were the others. The kids from before, who had been playing so joyfully, played no longer. Now they stood around the playground, all very still, all doing the worst damn thing you could imagine, staring right at Helen, unblinking, unmoving. And Helen, well, she had that awful feeling, the kind where your brain tells you to get out of there, but your body can't react. So she looked right back at them, some kind of bizarre after-hour stare down, until the girl holding Helen's hand laughed and ran to the others. It was like a switch got flipped on. The kids all just started playing. The swings groaned from little legs pumping themselves higher and higher. Footsteps pattered around as a game of tag got underway. And the thwack, thwack of the jump rope filled the air, along with that nursery rhyme. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza song really bothered Helen this time. Maybe it was because the name, Enza, it made her think of that crow, but it also scratched the memory at the back of her head. The sound of violent coughing ripped through the night. The girl from Helen's room was on her knees, shaking as loud wheezing racked her body. This kid was sick. Here's the thing. Helen was scared, but she was also a medical professional who had dedicated her life to saving children. And watching this girl in pain, She might as well have been watching her sister fade away all those years ago. So what she did next wasn't a choice, but a deeply ingrained instinct. She rushed over to the girl's side. But the child was gone by the time Helen got there. I don't mean dead. I mean gone. Vanished. Nothing there but the dirt she'd fallen on. Helen's brain didn't have time to catch up to this sight before she'd heard that song again behind her. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. There, skipping with zeal and singing at the top of her lungs, was the girl, the one that had just collapsed in a coughing fit. And whereas she looked ill and shaky before, she was now rosy and plump, full of energy and life, like she'd started over. Then a chorus of coughing filled the air. Around the grounds, other kids were collapsing, a wave of illness taking them out like fallen soldiers, one by one. The sounds that filled the night were awful, too awful to describe here. It took Helen back to the pediatric ward she worked in, to the COVID patients who gasped for breath as the virus raged through their helpless bodies. But the thing with these kids was, once they fell to the ground, it was only a matter of seconds before they appeared on their feet again, back to their games, like some kind of fiendish loop they kept playing over and over, along with that God-forsaken rhyme. I had a bird. 
His name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. In flew Enza. In flew Enza. Influenza. I broke this down for you already, but for Helen, this was the moment it all clicked into place. She slowly turned to look out at the cemetery, where she could see the outlines of the gravestones in the darkness. She knew that a lot of those who died in the Spanish influenza epidemic had been buried in this place. Many of them were children. And before the other part of her brain could tell her this was impossible, a small voice spoke at her side. That's where we sleep during the day. It was the girl. She pointed at the graveyard. That's what it finally took for Helen to accept the totally unbelievable reality she found herself in. These children were dead. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. Helen moved to run, but the girl grabbed her hand tightly and whispered, Don't leave. I went and got you. We never find anyone who cares. She hesitated before adding, I don't think they'll let you go anyway. Helen wrenched her hand away and took a step back, then another. Her head was on a swivel as she watched the kids stop playing, watched them take notice of her impending flight, and then she turned and ran. She raced down the cemetery path, past looming gravestones. It was dark, far too dark as if the night had swallowed up whatever sparse lamplights usually lit this parcel. Which is why poor Helen didn't see the stone that jutted out of the path, which is why she was wholly unprepared as she went flying through the air. She skidded on a patch of grass, ripping up dirt and debris before coming to a stop by a headstone. Her hands gripped the earth as she hauled herself to her feet, sucking in deep breaths of air to regain the wind that was knocked out of her. She'd landed in front of a headstone that read, Penny Lawrence, 1910-1918. The one beside it, Ben Horace, 1905-1918. The one beside that, you get the idea. These were graves of the fallen children from the flu epidemic a hundred years ago. The night seemed to go quiet around her. Despite the fear she felt, despite the desire to flee, something about these stones held her in place. Maybe it was the tragedy of it all and knowing that below her feet were the bodies of so many innocent souls. A hand suddenly shot out of the earth underneath her, wrapping her ankle in an icy vice. Helen screamed, trying to pull herself free, and she did. But the moment she staggered forward, another hand reached out of the dirt right in front of her. Helen yelped and lunged towards the path, frantically trying to get away from the dead. The crow's scream cut through the night, Helen didn't even see Enza appear. All she felt were its wings flapping against her face, its talons cutting at her cheeks. It was driving her back towards the graves, back towards the dead children's clutches. When Enza finally released her, she once again stood in front of the tombs, but this time she couldn't see a single engraving because countless ghostly hands had reached around the sides of the headstones. Little faces followed and the children from the playground peered out at her from all directions, their eyes pleading. Then their voices filled the air, a chorus of wails. Don't leave. Help us. Save us. The voices got so loud, so deafening, that Helen sank to the ground. Her hands covered her ears, and she screamed, I can't. I can't save everyone. 
Now, you might be expecting this to be the magic bullet, the big revelation that Helen had been searching for when she knelt before her sister's grave, that this epiphany would also somehow send those children back into the ground from whence they came. If you were expecting that, you'd be half right. See, this exclamation unclenched a feeling buried deep within Helen's heart. Guilt. Because, of course, this insidious virus wasn't her fault, nor was the toll it took on humanity. She could only do her best, save who she could. The rest was up to God, if you believe in that kind of thing. This epiphany didn't have any sort of impact on those kids, though. They surged forward then, in a wave of tears and pleas. Their arms wrapped around Helen, embracing her in a lethal, frigid hug that she could not free herself from. It got harder to move, harder to breathe. The night around her spun and everything blurred together as her gasp for air became wheezes, became nothing. And then everything went black. The first thing Helen was aware of when she came to was how cold she was. That's because she was outside lying in the grass, in nothing but a sleep t-shirt and shorts. Her chest throbbed and her ribs ached as she sat up. She was still in the cemetery, in a very familiar part of the cemetery, on her sister Laura's plot. Helen's eyes swam as she gently touched the engraving on the headstone. Then she kissed it and stood on shaky, unsteady legs. She had gone to the literal depths of hell, but... She had gotten the clarity she came for. I was strolling through the cemetery entrance as Helen shuffled her way out. Even without her doctor's garb, I recognized her as the woman I'd seen the night before, only this time. I could tell by her somber face and trembling limbs that between then and now, she'd seen some things she might care to forget. It only took me offering my coat and asking if she needed assistance for her story to spill out of her. Yeah, I got an earful. About the plight of the children who lurked in the cemetery, as well as the plight of the living during these trying times. I listened intently, soaking in every damn word she said till she was through talking and then long after. Once she went away, I headed to the playground and took up my post on that bench to think some more. On one hand, Helen's tale meant the spirits of the dead my grandma told me about were just steps away. Maybe they were watching me right now. On the other, knowing this still didn't make me feel whole. Maybe it wasn't the proof I came for. Maybe I was just searching for something I wouldn't find. See, some things can't be reasoned with. Like the pandemics, the affliction that hit humanity in 1918 and then tore through our lives again in 2020. None of that made sense. Does it have to? Sometimes bad shit happens. Just like sometimes you get thoughts running through your head you'd rather not be in there. And that realization, well, that got me a little closer to feeling like I got what I came for. So I peeled myself off that bench and went on my way. But a sound stopped me, one that echoed through the playground, children's laughter, and a very faint song. I had a bird. Its name was Enza. I opened the window, and in flew Enza. Maybe I wanted some proof after all, because that night, even though I'd walked upon the hallowed grounds of the dead and confirmed some of the horrors that lurk among us, I slept like a baby.
Run Fool is a production of Ballin Studios, Campside Media, and Atwell Media. It is hosted and executive produced by me, Rodney Barnes. This episode was written by Kate Murdoch and produced by Abakar Adan and Lee Mengistu. Editing by Matt Scher. It was sound design and mixed by Kevin Seaman with engineering support by Zach Crapone. Creature vocalization by Terry Casburn and artwork by Jessica Clogston-Kiner. Production support by Jeremy Bond and Cole Locasio. Special thanks to Lindsay Kilbride and our operations team. Doug Slaywin, Ashley Warren, Sabina Mara, and Destiny Dingle. Executive producers at Ballin Studios are Mr. Ballin, Nick Witters, and Zach Levitt. Executive producers at Atwell Media are Will Malnati and Rosie Guerin. Executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Adam Hoff. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.